Welcome back. I'm Conrad. He's Drew, and we are Stranger by the Dozen. Let's go to Marvel Fanfare 6 from January 1983. The Showdown. Roger Stern writer, Charles Vess artist, Ron Zalmi letterer, Glynis Wine colorist, Alan Milgram editor, Jim Shooter. Necromancer. <laughs> <laughs> So I love this story. The art's amazing, and the story, though simple, is a lot of fun. Uh, oh, yeah. Also, um, the other story for this issue is kind of Doctor Strange-related, as it's uh, Spider-Man and Scarlet Witch going up against Xandu for control of the Wand of Watum. And we've seen Xandu and the Wand of Watum and a couple other Spider-Man crossovers with Doctor Strange. And my advice is that uh, he realize he is a loser and give it up. <laughs> Give it up, loser. <laughs> but he will not. <laughs> so in Greenwich Village, a uh, young magician named Ian McNee arrives to uh, visit the Sanctum Sanctorum and challenge Doctor Strange to be Sorcerer Supreme. It's not going to end well uh, for him. It's cool, man. Uh, Doctor Strange sort of walks him through the Sanctum, through its um, endless corridors and stuff. Until finally they arrive into a mystic chamber, which opens into a, like, yeah, you know, a Steve Dicko-style um, spacescape with a lot of, like, floating rocks and big trees and stuff. Where they have a big wizard fight, which ends eventually in Ian McNee defeating this Doctor Strange and becoming Sorcerer Supreme. Oh, man! What? Yeah, now it's McNee by the dozen. That's how this show goes. All right, well, it's kind of a weird <laughs> change, but sure, I'll roll with it. Yeah, so as Sorcerer Supreme now, McNee is just hanging out in this realm, but then a magic door opens, and it's someone else challenging him. Like, you're Sorcerer Supreme, don't make me laugh. And the two of them fight, and McNee barely escapes with his life. And then even then, after that, a lady sorceress, Elata, shows up and challenges him for Sorcerer Supreme ship. He fights off two of them and barely survives again, and then he sort of stands on this tree inside the mystic reality as a hundred doors open up, each one of them challenging him for uh, to be Sorcerer Supreme, and he has a very Twilight Zone moment of like, no! By this the is, Crimson Bands! This is what I wanted, but it's not what I wanted. No! Not like this! Not like this! <laughs> and then he sort of like falls to his knees, and when he looks up, Doctor Strange is standing over him, saying like, Hey, buddy, like, just be a dude. You don't want to be Sorcerer Supreme. This is a terrible job. It's like, man, you don't want this. <laughs> yeah. Just be like a dude with wizard powers. That's pretty awesome as it is. Yeah, like, relax. As uh, And so Ian walks off, and as he does, he passes two kids playing like cowboys and Indians on, or I, I guess just cowboys on the streets of Greenwich Village. And the kid, and like they're sort of fighting because this one kid is always the number one gun. And the good guy and the kid wants, and the other kid wants to be the good guy sometimes. And he's like, nah, man, it's, uh, and the other, and so the second kid is like, nah, I don't want to play anymore. I'm out of here. And the first kid is like, man, it's tough being the number one gun. That's, this, it, it ain't no fun at all. 
And Egan McNeese like, yeah, that's the lesson I learned too. Like, you don't want to be Sorcerer Supreme. That guy's working all the time. And like in the end, Doctor Strange shares a fun mo, a uh, quiet moment with Wong and said, "I'm afraid the Top Gun's work is never done, as you say, Master." And that's the end. <laughs> but I like this story a lot just because it's sort of a, it's like a a fun moment of Doctor Strange being powerful and you sort of get a and I always like anything that, that gives you a sense of what it means to be Sorcerer Supreme as like a job instead of um, just a superhero you know what I mean? Yeah no this this story feels like more of a you know here is a day in the life of Doctor Strange not him fighting yeah. like a big baddie but him just like dealing with day to day stuff yeah and I, and I like that idea that there's just um you know, and it kind of creates this magic world of, for Marvel itself of just sort of there's all these wizards and they might be vying for the job and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. Just kind of make things feel like lived in and a little bit more sort of involved, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. All right. So let's go to uh, Marvel Fanfare 8 from June 1983. The Light That Never Was. Uh, Peter Gillis, script, Carmine Infantino pencils, Craig Russell inks, uh, many hands, letters, Ben Sean colors, Alan Milgram editor, Jim Shooter editor in chief, Stan Lee AWOL. So uh, it's old home week in fanfare this month as we see two old villains, one from a few years ago and one from a long time ago. First, there's a James Mandarin, who we'll remember from episode 15 of the podcast where he cut his own throat to force Doctor Strange to take him on as a disciple and then got pulled into hell when Strange had a showdown with the devil, like we talked about in the uh, Inferno episode earlier. Anyhow. Right, right, right. Anyhow, now he's sort of living just a, a nice life with a very supportive girlfriend, Meredith, and trying to do some magic on his own. Good times. Yeah. That seems yeah. simple enough. Yeah, until one night things go pretty badly. And... James is taken by a shadow monster, and Meredith runs to Doctor Strange for help. It turns out, actually, that James was using the Book of Secrets and Light and Sh- of the uh, Book of the Secrets of Light and Shadow, which is the same one used by Van Nyborg, who was the cult leader that tried to summon the Nameless Ones, which is different from the unnamed when we fought in Tunnel World, whatever. Um, but that's when we first met. Uh, Barbara and Jack Norris way back in 1968 when Doctor Strange was being canceled for the first time. Um, there were a bunch of cultists and they were going to sacrifice the Hulk to the, um, to, the uh, to, to the to the nameless ones and Doctor Strange stopped them but it ended with Barbara Norris being trapped in a hell dimension which allowed her to be possessed by the Valkyrie and it's just a it's just a lot of comic book stuff. <laughs> Anyhow. <laughs> <laughs> Doctor Strange sort of investigates he pierces the veil of shadow, and he finds an old foe from that same issue of the comic, which was um, an armored scorpion man. Then he was called Nightcrawler, but he's been renamed the Slitherer in Shadow to not conflict with the copyright of the X-Men character. <laughs> the Slitherer in Shadow has an old, a whole army of chaos demons, and, be, and they're being led by James Mandarin on a crazy chaos steed. Oh no! Luckily, Meredith is there to talk him out of it, and soon Mandarin joins the forces with the good guys, following a sweet series of fights, both wizard and otherwise. The Slitherer is banished, and everyone returns home. Doctor Strange apologizes for being a jerk to Mandarin, 
but it's no big deal as the subtitle in the in, in this issue says that Mandarin will be back being a jerk himself in Doctor Strange 57, which we'll probably get to in like late November. Hooray! Yay! <laughs> We're weird with timeline stuff with this issue, Drew. Yeah, no Just kidding. Things happen because it talks about like it. It specifically says at the beginning of it that it takes place before certain issues and then talks about stuff that happens in later issues and it's just whatever. But again, this is one where the art's really fun. Like I think I feel like the people who drew this were like Doctor Strange fans and do a lot of like wizard fighting and Doctor Strange sort of being magical and things like that. And this old character, the Slitherer in the shadow as they call him now, is a cool, like sort of half samurai, half like Incredible Hulk with a big tail kind of guy. That's kind of fun to watch fight and stuff. And yeah, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> Let's move on, Drew. Okay. To Defenders 90 from December 1980. Mind over Mandrill. Ed Hannigan, writer. Don Perlin and Pablo Marcos, artists. Diana Albers, letterer. George Russo's colorist. Al Milgram, editor. Jim Shooter, final arbiter. Okay, so confession time here. Yeah. <laughs> Doctor Strange only has a small cameo in this issue, and he's basically just in one panel lending Bruce Banner a suit to go to court in. Aww. But <laughs> I wanted to include it anyway because, one, it's a handy way of tying up the lingering plot line lines of the Defenders as Ed Hannigan finishes up his run in the comic, and, two, this issue came out the month I was born, and that's fun for me. Okay, okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah, so instead of recapping this issue, I'm going to quickly run through Defenders 87-291, covering September 1980 to January 1981. All right, Drew, here we go. Okay, let's do this. All right, Defenders 87 features a mysterious tribunal questioning Mutant Force, which were those weird sort of off-brand Brotherhood of Mutants we saw in previous issues, uh, Hellcat's ex-husband, and the terrible Jack Norris about the Defenders. It's weird because we don't really learn what's up with the Tribunal at that point, but we'll see them later. Defenders 88. Hey, hey, Drew, do you remember that whale that the Hulk saved, like, a, uh, an episode or two ago? Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. And he, there was, did, he did save a whale. Yeah, and there was a commercial for Greenpeace in it, and it was really weird. Yeah, that was really strange. <laughs> right, so that, whole, so that whale's back. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, uh, it kidnaps Bruce Banner from the back of a ship so that the Hulk can wreck a Soviet, a Soviet whaling operation. The, the name of that comic is the Prince of Wales, but whales like W H A L E S. It's stupid. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, uh, and it's just like, Oh my gosh. It's a good comic. There's a, a, a giant squid is involved. I don't know. Anyway, <laughs> Also, even though Matt Murdock joins the legal team, Nighthawk is formally indicted. And then uh, Defenders 89, because of the indictment, uh, Kyle Richmond's penthouse is repossessed. And the Defenders team moves its headquarters to help the uh, suburban home of Hellcat's recently deceased mom in suburban New Jersey. Hulk and, Val- and Valkyrie go shopping, but because one is a Norse goddess and the other one's the Hulk... They don't know what to buy. They just buy like four thousand cans of beans. Nice. It's pretty. It's pretty hilarious, just because there's a picture of then all these superheroes sitting at a big dinner table, 
and like with varying sizes of bowls of beans as um eating them the hulks is like the size it was like a salad bowl with like a big like giant wooden spoon and he's just shoveling beans in his mouth <laughs> it's it's pretty good also um daredevil is taken hostage by uh femme force in uh defenders 90 hellcat gets her demon cloak back but then she and Valkyrie get taken back over by Mandrill's uh, lady control spell, basically, or his pheromones, I suppose. Uh, the trial of Kyle Richmond begins, but Richmond leaves in the middle to go save Daredevil as Nighthawk. And there's a pretty awesome part where uh, court bailiffs try to arrest Valkyrie and she goes full angry Norse god, like, take your hands off me, you puny insects. I am an immortal being from a land beyond this or something like that. It's excellent. <laughs> um, eventually, though, um, by the end of it, Hellcat gets demandrilled, but Val is still under his musky influence. And then finally, Defenders 91, Mandrill's endgame begins as he takes over a nuclear power plant being run by his own mother. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, he's a, he's a mutant, so he's got regular human parents. He was just born like a, a musky monkey man, basically. <laughs> Anyhow, he's going to use the uh, pl- the uh, nuclear power plant to hold America hostage or, or something. The defenders defy a court order to stop him, culminating in a big sword fight between Hellcat and, and Valkyrie. While Hulk thwarts Mandrill's plans and replaces some fuel rods inside the plant. And eventually... Mandrill is shot by his own mama. Why? Oh, oh why, mama? Why? Oh, goodness, why? <laughs> um, in the end, the strength of girl power overcomes the Mandrill's stink, and Hellcat and, Va- and Val hug in relief. <laughs> Sisters before musky ape men, am I right? I was, try- I was trying to do a bros before hose things, but I couldn't figure out how to shorten sisses. Like, sisses? I don't know. It, it, it didn't work. I'm, I, I apologize. No, it's, it's close enough. You're fine. But anyhow, <laughs> yeah, I feel like Nighthawk kind of, he's like still indicted, I believe, but the court things are weird because they uh, took down Mandrill and I think his judge was affected by Mandrill hormones, so she would have to recuse herself or something. But other than that, Mandrill's taken down and all the rest of the storylines have kind of resolved themselves a little bit. And we ourselves move to Defenders 92 from February 1981. Eternity. Humanity. Oblivion. J.M. De Matesis, writer. Don Perlin and Pablo Marcos, artists. Diana Albers, letterer. George Russo's colorists. Al Milgram, editor. Jim Shooter, editor-in-chief. So he opened with kind of a sweet scene, I think, where um, <laughs> the Hulk is like playing with dolls in the living room carpet of um, the Sanctum Sanctorum. And the uh, and they're sort of based on, and you can see they're sort of based on like the different defenders, or like there's a Dormammu one and stuff. And as... Um, Hulk's, Hulk's dialogue here really, really cracks me up. He's kind of talking to himself. Then the big wizard say to Firehead, Hello, want to come to house, to my house and sing songs? <laughs> exactly. So um as this happens, Nighthawk shows up and he relates to them an attack on him and his ex-girlfriend Mindy Williams, 
which is, I guess, sort of a thing from a different comic, Marvel Team-Up 101, which I forgot to look up. And he expresses his doubts about being a superhero in general. Doctor Strange tries to um, comfort him, but then suddenly there's a white panel on the page, and it's like, what the hell was that? And there's another white panel on the page, and it's like, oh my gosh, something's going, something's up with the pages of this comic. We're going to die. <laughs> Wait, you mean to tell me that all reality is actually just a comic book? Oh my gosh. Oh gosh. Uh, before Doctor Strange can tell them what's going on, he gets ripped bodily out of his his astral form gets ripped out of his body and he finds himself taken far far away to the realm of eternity and he turned he kind of explains that um he tries to periodically understand how the universe works by sending pieces of him out into like into the cosmos to experience it. We see a bunch of like different like versions of him, be they um, human or alien or something. But like he kind of sends them out to learn about the universe and calls them back. But several of them have not come back. Three to be three of his selves have not returned, and without them, eternity is incomplete. Which means reality is incomplete. Which means existence ends it's rough yeah super rough yeah so dr strange has to uh go gather up a team to find these three missing pieces of eternity and so he starts you know so he's got uh nighthawk and hulk there at the sanctum he sends an astral message to hellcat and uh, valkyrie who are eating pie in the kitchen in their house in montclair new jersey and um like, uh, let's talk about their uh, their uh, coded relationship in another episode, Drew. But yeah, it, there's yeah. something going on there. Yeah, there is something going on there. Let, let's let's discuss <laughs> can, that further later. We can see it, but they got uh, NPR tote bags. That's all I'm trying to say. Uh, <laughs> he, uh, Doctor Strange, tries to contact the Silver Surfer. The Silver Surfer is like, oh, "I'm the Silver Surfer. I can't do things because I'm sad." He's <laughs> moping on some mountain somewhere. Yeah, he contacts Namor, and Namor's like, yeah, I'm Namor, I'm going. I'm just I'm filling out spreadsheets here at Atlantis. I'm happy for any excuse. And he calls Damon Hellstrom, the son of Satan. Oh, man. Oh, wow. Hey, he's been, uh, he's been on the team before. He's helped out. Yeah, totally. He's fine. And he was called Damon Hellstrom before uh, Damien existed in the Omen. I'll have you know, they mm. copied us. Hmm. <laughs> So, Doctor Strange has figured out in this time where the uh, three, where the three people are hidden. All right, there's a secluded Indian temple located uh, dedicated to the Hindu god Rama. There's a small island off the coast of Patras, Greece, and a backward village in northernmost Russia. So he's going to send the def- these defenders out in teams of two to find them. Meanwhile, Doctor Strange will work with a network of wizards to prolong Eternity's waning life force. All right? Break. <laughs> so first up, we go to India with Son of Satan and Hellcat. So it's sort of a just like how previously Hellcat teamed up with Black Panther for cat-themed superheroing. Now she's teamed up with Son of Satan for um, hell-themed superheroing. It's good times. It's good to stay on brand, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. <laughs> so they go to this temple. Uh, they're immediately attacked by the people in the temple, as you do. Though Hellstrom manages to defeat them with his fiery trident and stuff. They learned that the cult's leader had a vision from the god Hanuman and has um, and then was taken away by that god. And so uh, da- da- Damon and Hellcat rush off to fight to uh, find him. They find Hanuman, the, uh, who is a uh, Hindu monkey god, and they have a big uh, mon- monkey god fo- fight, which is pretty awesome. And eventually make their way deeper into the temple complex to find this lost seer dude who is apparently one of the pieces of eternity made flesh. All right. Then we smash to a uh, snowy Russian village with Nighthawk and the Incredible Hulk, which is currently under attack by abominable snowmen. Oh, no. It's terrible. Or like not sorry, not snowmen like Yeti Yetis, but like actual Man made of snow, you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, snowmen. Well, but, yeah. yeah. And that are abominable because they're destroying a village. That's basically it. I'm just saying that they're not yetis. I want to make that clear. We've had yetis before. <laughs> Clearly not yetis. Clearly. Yes. So it turns out that the one person missing from their village is this lost little kid, Ivan, who's wandered off into the snowy wilderness. And it's pretty clearly the um, piece of eternity that's missing. So Hulk and Nighthawk fly off to catch him. But, um, you know, it's hella snowy. (laughs) They end up being, like, encased in ice as they jump after the kid, eventually having to break themselves free and finally make their way to a crazy um, ice castle deep in the Russian wilderness. It's like a weird ice temple castle thing. Yeah. And so then we cut again to Greece with Namor and Valkyrie, where they fight some dudes and find out that a rich industrialist, sort of a um, Aristotle, Onassis kind of guy, has been kidnapped by a harpy, and it's bad. And so Valkyrie and Namor make chase. As they do, they fight a bunch of uh, crazy demonic or uh, crazy mythological guys. Like there's a big bird, there's a uh, merman. Which, I, if I'm Namor, I'm taking offense to. Yeah, like, man. That's like, whoa, guy, dude. That's I don't not appreciate we, this at all. That's not what we look like. I find this offensive. <laughs> but so we end each one of these each one of these teams sort of fighting mystical or mythic beings and then running towards some sort of temple or castle or other thing like that. It happens with Namor and and Valkyrie too, where they sort of find a great, a Greek temple on some Island. All three of them, when they enter, enter the, the building, find themselves in like a Dr. Strange, you know, flying space area. Yeah. Standing on floating platforms with the pieces of eternity, yeah. all hanging out being like, yeah, we don't want to go back and be eternity. Yeah. We want to be ourselves. The made up lives that were given to us by an all powerful cosmic being. And, you know, the superiors try to explain to them, like, hey, guys, like, you can't be yourselves because pretty soon reality will end, and that's not cool. Like, you'll die, too. And they're like, ah, we don't care. We're bad guys. (laughs) Maybe they shouldn't be such selfish jerks. I mean, and that's basically, honestly, how it ends up. Like, this one actually kind of ends like that story with that guy that got his powers from a Megatron, I think, where... 
with India who fought crime in tennis clothes that was on two ep- two episodes ago, Drew, with uh, Duncan, where these guys are super powered and they beat it and they and they beat up all the defenders pretty effectively. But in the end, um, Nighthawk kind of makes an impassioned speech about, you know, you've learned to live and love, and how can you doom the people you love to destruction? Or, you know, shouldn't you be cool dudes and instead give up yourselves so that they can live? And it works, because Nighthawk is a strangely compelling speaker of, um, like, dramatic, give give up your powers and your life kind of nature, I guess. It wouldn't work on me, but I guess it works on these guys. <laughs> and so the pieces of eternity end up uh, returning to eternity itself. And the day is saved, and everything is cool, except now Nighthawk has to explain to that Russian family why their son won't be coming back, because he's joined an all-powerful god being. I mean, it's not so bad. I'd send a letter, personally. That's yeah. Not, yeah, that's, that's not, not a, like... That's not like, you know, go up to the front door and be like, so some things happened. Yeah, it's not an in-person conversation. <laughs> no. That's like letter at best, text message at worst. Oh, I don't. Don't text them. <laughs> <laughs> like, like write it out longhands, you know what I mean? <laughs> but yeah, whatever. That's it for this week. I thought there were some really good issues this week, Drew. What do you think? Yeah, there's some really good issues. I really like the... Uh... The story where it's basically some kid challenging Doctor Strange to the title for uh, Sorcerer Supreme. Yeah, that was neat. The art and stuff for the um, for the X Men in Hell one is pretty neat. Like yeah. when they wake up in front of the big like abandon all Hopi who enter doorway and stuff. That's really awesome. And it's all, it was also see, also seeing some work by uh, Frank Miller. Yeah, that was cool. Like there was a bunch of like classic comic book guys going to these issues which is nice you know what i mean yeah cool so yeah and i'm interested for this new creative team for the defenders also i hope they sort of take things in interesting new new directions i know they will okay (laughs) um if you'd like to contact the podcast i'd love to hear from you you can send me an email at stranger by the dozen at gmail.com or interact with the show on facebook and instagram at stranger by the dozen twitter at stranger by the twelve on Tumblr at strangerbythedozen.tumblr.com. Uh, during the week, I'll post a bunch of images and uh, from these issues, and so keep an eye out. Stranger by the Dozen is on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, and any other podcatching app. And remember, if you leave a five-star review on any platform, I'll read it on the show. Um, if you want to contact Drew and tell him how wrong he is about everything, please find him on Neo of the Dark. Or at Neo the Dark on Twitter. I look forward to not answering any of your opinions. <laughs> also, be on the lookout for me and show co-host Duncan on the new Lucha Lucha Underground recap show, Atomic Heel Turn, coming to a podcast network near you. Oh man, cross promotion! I got so much. It's coming. It's we're, we're about to go crazy. Anyway, next week. We'll once again go deep into crazy Defenders action as the team faces off against the demonic Six-Fingered Hand. The Defenders will get a sweet new demonic team member, and Nighthawk may be paralyzed, but he doesn't let it get him down. Uh, Doctor Strange and Clea go on vacation and will travel to an alternate dimension with Spider-Man to fight a horde of Spider-Men. 
uh, Nebulon, Dracula, Ghost Rider, Man-Thing, Silver Surfer, the Avengers, and every version of Satan or the Devil in Marvel history all guest star. (laughs) Until then, faithful listener, I say, these be words you read and remember. On a storm-shattered night, once every 60,000 of Earth years is the bend sinister possible. Then shall creatures of evil conspire to wreak gravest harm upon humanity, and they shall succeed unless one who is equally spider and man join together the mighty sorcerer to defeat them. Thus speak the Vishanti. My name is Conrad, and for my co-host Drew, this is Stranger by the Dozen. May the Vishanti guide your path.